So what you're about to hear, hopefully, if you stick around for the next 60 minutes, it's just entertainment, things to think about. Draw the lines, find the parallels, or just let it ride. But hopefully, give it a listen. It could be a wonderful thing. I went to my therapist not too long back here. And not that I was going through a crisis, but I did want to know what the point was. He answered me really fast. And it was definitely better than what I learned from Woody Allen and Annie Hall. He said that the most important thing is what's between you and your partner. And everything around you gets built on that. Resources, okay. and then it gets really, really morning, big in my head, and then I sit down and I go, wait a minute. What my first priority is, and it's about aligning this with align my tasks and efforts and time. And then it gets and love really easy and, and fun. Resources, and then it gets really, really big in my head. And then I sit down and I go, "Wait a minute!" So hold that in the back of your mind. It's about aligning this with my playlist along today. And then it gets really easy and fun. Love is a funny thing. Whenever I give it, it comes back to me And it's wonderful to be Giving with my whole heart as my heart receives your love Oh, ain't it nice tonight we've got each other And I am right Beside you, more than just a partner or a lover, I'm your friend. When you love someone, your heart beat beat so loud. When you love someone, your feet can't feel the ground. We take so often for granted the idea that above you is forever and that that notion it's above and below it's everywhere and we're in this you know, I don't have to tell you <laughs> but this this concept is it's it's so hard for us to wrap our minds around yet so ever present and we ignore it we ignore it So what you're about to hear is the summary conclusion of about an hour's conversation with someone of immense significance to me. Just trying to get to know them. I 
interview people all the time. Do my best to get to the heart of who they are and what they are. Of course, not with one conversation because people are multidimensional and complicated and and all of that stuff. But I'm just saying, in general, I don't have too much difficulty um, talking with people. Or at least them talking to me. I have lots of difficulty talking to them. But anyway, the gist of this whole conversation and piece is essentially that I'm aching and dying to get to know you and I'm really curious, you know, what you think and how you think about things. And one of the my big things is that you learn by asking questions that it's not that interesting just to be told all the time. It's actually far more fascinating to me to encounter people that teach me stuff, which I pretty much know nothing, so pretty much everything is fascinating. A lot of squirrel time in Kirbyland. But anyway, the setup. Evening. End of day. Have been talking. When your spouse comes home and you say, oh, how was your day? And so and so and such and such. And sometimes it can be surfacy and that's great. But other times, I don't know, you're actually looking for a bit of connection. I think I'm pretty decent at articulating that. So this whole hour-long conversation stemmed from that. And at the very end, here it is. <laughs> Why are you recording? You just said, what were you doing last night? I was reading about my personality so that you could check myself. Right. So <laughs> you were going on the internet to make sure that you're okay. Based on your, what, sign? No. Horoscope? My Myers-Briggs oh, okay. personality test. Now, this is the part I wanted because I thought, this is probably the part that drives Chris crazy. Let me find it. Come on. All right, so they tend to see life as a big, complex puzzle where everything is connected. But unlike analysts who tend to see that a pu- that puzzle is a series of systemic mach- machinations, yeah, um, ENFPs see it through a prism of emotion, compassion, and mysticism, and are always looking for the deeper meaning. Oh, like seven years ago. And what specifically? So I make sure that we're on the same page. What was the revelation? I don't remember what her question was, but it was just nobody usually, like, I wouldn't say called me out on my thoughts, but just, like, asked it in a different way. Like, less so than you do, but at least, like, follow up. With like, well, what do you mean? Like, tell me more about that. Or what do you mean by less so than you mean? Do I do it a lot or a little? You do it a lot. Okay. Like you, if you could get a, a gold medal in something, you would get it in trying to ask the questions to understand exactly what someone means or the why. Even though you say you don't care about the why, uh-huh. you ask about the why a lot. Well, why do you do it that way? Well, why? Well, why? That makes no sense. <laughs> it's fun though. If you're on the other side, if you're listening to it and you're not in the room, it's fun to listen to. Yeah, but like I'm on the receiving end of on it most of the time. And for someone who's not used to somebody asking why someone's doing something, and I have to stop and think through it. But you know, I'm having fun. Sometimes, yes. 
I mean, I'm, I'm learning, like, I'm not like devious fun. Like, I mean, I'm having fun. Like, I'm generally just having fun. I kind of really dig just one kind of fun. It's the antagonistic kind. No. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like to learn things. I like to constantly learn things. And when my mind is ready to work, like, I want to work because there are times when I can't. Yeah. And that makes sense. And that's something that... Jack, go! Go how your mind works. I don't totally... I can't empathize because I don't know what that's like to have these, like, moments of clarity, almost, or, like, the ability to think like a superhuman. My... I just kind of, like, my brain always works at the same level or I'm tired. Like, there's not really, like, a... Do you know that people like me need people like you, but you don't need people at all like me? Say that again. People like me. Awesome, wonderful, beautiful, smart people. Whatever. Really and truly need people like you. But people like you don't actually need us. I want you. I, I'm just, I just wanted to be clear that I have somewhat of an understanding. It's not talking about a, I'm not talking about first and second. I'm just saying, like, I know that. Well, I do think that I need you. Yeah, like uh, me need like right, I, but you don't need to get this close, huh? Like you don't need to deal with this. Like you know, you don't really have to deal with. You don't want to quite as much. Like the problems that I have are not problems that you would experience. No, I wouldn't even know that it was something that another human being was struggling with. Right. If I didn't have you, but that's helpful. It'd be harder to deal with. Yeah, maybe. Like when she's an adult and she can retroact, like have retrospective and be frustrated by the things that she may have missed out on or not understood or, yeah. The things that she needs to know for herself that are unanswerable questions without proof. Mm-hmm. What do you think? I don't know how to, I mean, other than th- I'm giving you my time, which is why I'd like to just spend my time with you. Okay. I just want to make sure there wasn't anything else. So I need, well, I'm trying to post one thing a day. So that's Oh shit, and who did I not email back? Gotcha Fuck, it's Thursday? Yeah, that's gotta be fun You love me I do, a lot Thank god The whole thing that started this Was about network syncing interview me right now no oh no but I'm gonna record this conversation please do okay because you're gonna use it later somehow I'd film it if I could but I am not film worthy what are we what are we filming what are we what are we doing what I'm about to tell you well not tell you but like where this conversation is about to go oh man (laughs) I was very excited for whatever this well, so you're gonna tell me. So, Lori, what were we talking about just before all of this words. started? Words and the networks. Oh, that was quick. You did. You totally baited me. Uh, no, we, what words? What were those words? That we, what words were we talking about? That I had words. Your words. We were talking about <laughs> your words. Yes, my words. And I'm like don't you have them right and then you said 
And I said... <laughs> <laughs> no, and then I said, what? I must talk, talk a lot in my head and not say it out loud then. Which is really sort of ironic. And this is, brings us back to the now. And that's why we were recording that's this? That's why we were recording okay. this. That I'm here spending time together with you, trying to get you to talk to me. Yes. And after all of that, the one question that you ask is a question that's impossible to answer. Okay. It's an impossible question for me to answer. That's true. So again, even when you do, you gave me nothing. Okay. What do you think about syncing networks? <laughs> Sinking networks? I don't know. You talked about where does everything sync up. You're so. not interested. Not in a bad way. It was cute what you said. It was funny. Like, I'm watching movie. Um, Do you just we, wanted to record the fact that watch. I didn't ask you a good question? I just wanted... I don't know. Like, <laughs> I want to know if it's really as funny as it is to me right now. Later. That I asked you a question you couldn't answer. Yeah. All right. Well, we've got it on tape now. Yeah. Consistently turn out Kirby. It's kind of that random deja vu stuff, similar to Parking Karma, although Parking Karma does not tend to be one. It's like when you're having that issue, that thing that you've been trying to tell someone, and you've been watching it develop over days and weeks and months. And then suddenly, reluctantly, you go to a movie with that individual, and in the simplest form and the simplest message, everything that you've been trying to convey for months 
is explained in a Disney movie. I have doubts about myself. There are times when you guys have doubts about yourselves, about each other, about this community, about where we're going. But what always matters is that you trust that we're always moving forward. We're always trying to make the world a better place. We're always trying to put forward goodwill in the world. We're always trying to shrug off those doubts, not ignore them. Acknowledge them, realize if they're right or wrong, correct because of them, and then move forward in life no matter what. No matter what obstacles are coming your way, always moving forward. And listen close because this is very important. We are doing great things on this channel. When I came from a place of crippling self-doubt, I moved forward from that doubt to a place where I can be proud of the things that I have done. And if I leave anything behind in this world, it is the idea that that can come from anywhere. Anyone can do what I have done. Anyone can be the person that I have become, not a copy of myself, but pushing yourself to a higher place, pushing yourself to a better version of you, making sure that those doubts don't bring you down, don't cripple your development, don't make you like so afraid of moving forward and so afraid of what people think of you that you do nothing in your life. That doesn't mean that everybody will find success. But that does mean that everybody can take the risks to develop themselves to a place where they are proud of what they can do. That is what's important about this channel. That's what's important about being honest with ourselves. That's what's important about being honest with each other. I absolutely love about creating things on the internet. That's what I love about this community. And that doesn't mean that everything's positive on the internet. That doesn't at all, because there are shitty people who discover that they are shitty people no matter what they do. And that's fine, too. But it's our responsibility to try to push humanity forward. That's what I want more of. I want to see humanity go to great places. I want to see us live up to our potential weird things about life and there's so many weird things about life but the weirdest thing by far is that we're in space and it's almost never discussed <laughs> you go throughout your floating. day yeah just there. This is a thin layer of gas that protects us from rocks that periodically slam into the planet and kill everything you know, <laughs> just to just to put punctuation on your usage of the word thin continue <laughs> i say there's a fireball floating in the sky it's a million times bigger than earth if you stare at it you'll go blind it's trying to give you cancer and if it's not there you get sad a severe uh, th threat of death uh, due to the Model 3 production ramp. Essentially, the, the company was bleeding money like crazy, and, and just if, if we didn't solve these problems in a very short period of time, uh, we would die. 
uh, and it was extremely difficult to solve them. How close to death did you come? Within, within single-digit weeks. You're a neuroscience company, and you're working to build basically an interface to the brain. Yeah. Electrode to neuron interface at a micro level. Okay, what is that? Like, I'm going to have like a plug in my head that's going to fit into a hard drive? Like, or how does that work? Yeah, yeah. A chip and a bunch of tiny wires. This, this would be implanted surgically. And it would do what? Could you input? Could you download Jim? Mm-hmm. Yes. What, what, <laughs> the long-term aspiration with Neuralink was, would be to achieve a symbiosis with uh, artificial intelligence um, and to achieve a sort of democratization of, of intelligence uh, such that it is not monopolistically held in a purely digital form by governments and, and large corporations. Basically, an effort for man to merge with machine in yes. a healthy way. Yes. To beat machines, you basically have to merge with machines. Most likely, yes. Essentially, how do we ensure that the future constitutes the, the sum of the will of humanity? Um, and so if we have billions of people with a high bandwidth link to the AI extension of themselves, it would actually make everyone hyper-smart was happening. No, you're right. And he's making clear that what we suspected uh, behind the scenes was happening, that, that as they uh, tried to ramp up the production of the Model 3, the mass market version, uh, that it was as difficult as it looked. And we asked him at the end, we said it was almost a throwaway question. I said, what do you do that no one should do? And he said, no one should work this hard. He said that uh, he is almost constantly uh, in the factory, is the chief engineer, is the chief designer, uh, underscoring what's worried the market at times, and that is how much this is a one-man operation. And such an amazing uh, brain, the uh, co-founder of seven companies, currently the CEO of four companies. And if that isn't enough, he, uh, uh, now in his late 40s, he predicts a 70% chance that he personally will go to Mars. Um, what is the likelihood that you personally will go to Mars? 70%. We've recently made a number of breakthroughs that, I, that I'm just really fired up about. And when does that happen? In our lifetimes? Yeah, yeah. I'm talking about moving there. So it's like, so if, if, if you get the price for it, maybe around a couple hundred thousand dollars. This could be an escape hatch for rich people. No. Your probability of dying on Mars is much higher than Earth. Really, the after going to Mars would be like Shackleton's after going to the Antarctic. It's going to be hard. Uh, there's a good chance of death, going in a little can through deep space. You might land successfully. Once you land successfully, there will be a mat you'll be working nonstop to build the base. Uh, Seriously, you know, not much time for leisure. And uh, once you get there, even after doing all this, uh, it's a very harsh environment, so there's a good chance you die there. Um, we think you can come back, but we're not sure. Now, does that sound like an escape hatch for rich people? And yet you would unhesitatingly go. You know, there's lots of people that climb mountains. You know why they climb mountains? Because people die on Mount Everest all the time. They like doing it for the challenge. Yay!
chance with speeding, sir. Have you, have you been driving for three years? Uh, no, I've not been driving in the U.S. for three years. No, uh, but I've been driving uh, in in Africa before the U.S. So I uh, just get my U.S. license like six months ago. Oh, you celebrated by speeding. Uh, no, I, I I I didn't see no no speed sign on the on Harris Avenue, and uh, that was the way from Harris to Providence Place, like uh, towards Providence Place Mall. I didn't see no sign, so I thought that was like 30 the speed limits and something like that. But when the cop stopped me, uh, he told me that the speed limit was 25, and then uh, he gave me a ticket. Mm-hmm and told me that I was driving 35. Mm-hmm. So, but he wrote uh, 38 on the ticket. No, he wrote 35. Oh, oh, okay. I saw another 38 on the side. I don't know what it means. Though. Yeah. Now, you received a driver's license in Rhode Island, right? Yes. And you had to study the book, right? Yes, I did. Yeah, and then did, in that book, did you read that, unless otherwise posted that the speed limit within the city limits is 25? You didn't read yeah, that yes, Wait, yes. Oh, you I, read I, that? I read that, but oh, uh, read uh, there, are, there are some other places in I the... Everyone read it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I read it's that. I read the book. That's why book. I, I get my You know, uh, but uh, I was with my wife and my and my two babies there over there. Where are you know, they? So I was, Where are uh, they? Oh, bring them up here. here. You know, I was with, with all of them. Get them up here. I was with all of them, and I didn't feel like I was speeding because I was just following the cars in front of me. And but when he when he stopped me, I just pulled over. I didn't know why he stopped me, but he told me that I was speeding. Yeah. But I was not uh, very looking at my speed yeah. when I was driving. Yeah. Were you in the car? Were you in the car with him? Yes, I was in the passenger seat. Oh, did you tell him to slow down? Well, I didn't feel like we were, you know, going exceeding too much over the limit. Not too much. No, no like just a just, little. Yeah, just a little. I didn't even. Oh, she, she. I always <laughs> told the honest one. He wasn't looking at the odometer. She felt it. Who else was in the car? It just the um the baby. Oh, now endangerment of a child as well. Yeah, and he wouldn't. Well, I mean, he wouldn't go over the speed limit, you so, know, excessively, knowing that the family was in the car. I got it. So he endangered your wife, the mother of the child, right? And the child. Is that what he did? No, he did not he do that. He did not. Okay. And who's this little guy? This is our other son. What's his name? Menelik. Hi. Look up here. Say hi. Hi. All right. Come up here. Bring him up here. I want to ask him a question. Oh, yeah. Now, you stay there. You get back over there. I'm going to ask you two questions, okay? And you're going to say one or the other. Now, we're talking about your father, right? Now, you're going to say guilty or not guilty. What do you say? Guilty. Guilty. Honest boy. Shake hands. Good work. Okay, you can go back. It's official. You are guilty. 
No, he didn't understand. He doesn't know what he's saying. Well, you have a wonderful family. I'm going to give you credit for your good driving record back in Africa. Okay, just be careful down there. And you have a very honest young man as well. Good luck to you. I wasn't sure where that was going to go. I was listening, trying to figure out who's good, who's bad. Is this okay? But then it occurred to me that there was already a judge in the room, a judge in the conversation. So I just listened along. And those questions didn't have feelings. Those questions didn't judge. They were ascertaining information. Maybe it gets a little easier to talk when we take for granted that the person that we're talking to is fair. Maybe that inference of goodwill and fairness is something we could all attempt to carry with us like Christmas spirit the next time we interact with others. bad day, for every bad day, well, for any day, really, listen on. Live or die. With your help, we could convince them that with a little extra effort on their part... I want to say something. There's this song I used to sing in the orphanage when I get sad. It always cheered me up. Eleanor. Just thinking about... Tomorrow clears away the cobwebs and the sorrow till there's none. When I'm stuck with a day that's gray and lonely, I just stick out my chin and grin and say, Oh. Just to go my chin and grab
Although we have a choice in becoming the people we strive to be, it is without a doubt that our childhoods shape us to a certain extent. How we choose to react to different situations and the way we express ourselves are behavioral patterns that are formed starting at a young age when we first begin to learn how to make sense of our immediate environment. Marriage and family counselors Dr. Milan and Kay Yurkovic discovered that everyone has a certain love style based on their upbringing. A love style is comprised of our tendencies and inclinations of how we respond to our romantic partners. By understanding how we love, we can learn how our love styles affect our relationships. Here are Dr. Milan and Kay Yurkovic's five love styles. 1. The Pleaser The pleaser often grows up in a home with an overly protective or angry and critical parent. As children, pleasers do everything they can to be good and be on their best behavior so as to not provoke a negative response from their parent. Pleaser children don't receive comfort. Instead, they spend their time and energy giving comfort to their reactive parent. Pleasers are uncomfortable with conflict and deal with disagreements by often giving in or making up for them quickly. They usually have a hard time saying no, and because they want to minimize conflict, they may not be truthful and lie to avoid difficult confrontations. As pleaser children grow into adults, they learn to read the moods of others around them to make sure they can keep everyone happy. However, when pleasers feel stressed or believe that they are continuously letting someone down, they can have a breakdown and flee from relationships. Pleasers often spread themselves thin trying to be everything to everyone when it's not realistic, and instead of forming healthy boundaries for themselves, they focus more on the needs and desires of others. In order for pleasers to cultivate stable relationships, they have to be honest about their own feelings, rather than trying to do what is expected of them. 2. The Victim the victim often grows up in a chaotic home. Victims learn to be compliant in order to survive by putting less attention on themselves so they can stay under the radar. To deal with their angry, violent parents, victim children learn at a very young age to hide and stay quiet. Because being fully present is painful for them, victim children often build an imaginary world in their heads to cope with the dangers they face on a daily basis. Victims have low self-esteem and usually struggle with anxiety and depression. They may end up marrying controllers who mirror the same behaviors as their parents. Victims learn to cope by being adaptable and going with the flow. They are so used to chaos and stressful situations that when they do experience calmness, it actually makes them feel uneasy because they anticipate the next blow up. 
In order for victims to cultivate healthy, stable relationships, they have to learn self-love and stand up for themselves when a situation calls for it, instead of letting their partner walk all over them. 3. The Controller The controller usually grows up in a home where there wasn't a lot of protection, so they learn to toughen up and take care of themselves. They need to feel in control at all times to prevent the vulnerability they experienced in their childhood from being exposed in their adulthood. People with this love style believe that they're in control when they can avoid experiencing negative feelings of fear, humiliation, and helplessness. Control it, instead of letting their partner walk all over them. 3. The Controller The controller usually grows up in a home where there wasn't a lot of protection, so they learn to toughen up and take care of themselves. They need to feel in control at all times to prevent the vulnerability they experienced in their childhood from being exposed in their adulthood. People with this love style believe that they're in control when they can avoid experiencing negative feelings of fear, humiliation, and helplessness. Controllers, however, don't associate anger as vulnerability, so they use it as a weapon to remain in power. Controllers have rigid tendencies, but may also be sporadic and unpredictable. They don't like stepping out of their comfort zones because it makes them feel weak and unprotected. They prefer to solve problems on their own, and like getting things done in a certain manner, Otherwise, they get angry. In order for controllers to form stable, long-lasting relationships, they need to learn how to let go, trust others, and keep their anger at bay. 4. The Vacillator The vacillator often grows up with an unpredictable parent. As children, vacillators learned that their needs aren't their parents' top priority. Without consistent affection from their parent, vacillators develop a deep fear of abandonment. But when the parent finally feels like giving their time and attention to them, vacillators are usually too angry and tired to receive it. As vacillators enter adulthood, they try to find the consistent love they were deprived of as children. Vacillators have a tendency to idealize new relationships, but once they feel let down or disappointed, they grow dejected and doubtful. They often feel misunderstood and experience a lot of internal conflict and emotional stress within their relationships. They can be extremely sensitive and perceptive, which allows them to detect even the slightest change in others and know when people are pulling away. In order for vacillators to cultivate healthy, stable relationships, they need to learn how to pace themselves and get to know someone before committing too soon and getting hurt by their own expectations. 5. The Avoider The avoider often grows up in a less affectionate home that values independence and self-reliance. As children, Avoiders learn to take care of themselves starting at a very young age and put their feelings and needs on hold to deal with their anxieties of having little to no comfort from their parents. Avoiders tend to like their space and rely on logic and detachment more than their emotions. They get uncomfortable when people around them experience intense mood swings. In order for avoiders to cultivate healthy, long-lasting relationships, they need to learn how to open up and express their emotions honestly. Which love style do you identify with? Please share your thoughts with us below. And you thought you knew everything. But then came trouble. When my mom walked into the living room, she said, Boy, you gotta tell me what they did to you. I said, You don't wanna know the things I had to do. She said, Son, you gotta tell me why you're black and blue. I said, I didn't want trouble. I'm the boy in the bubble. But then came trouble. And my heart was pumping, chest was screaming, mind was running, air was freezing. Put my hands up, put my hands up, I told this kid I'm ready for a fight.
The United States of America. You to Hawaii and Alaska to scale for once. Ever since these states united to create America, the federal government of America, they and she fought mightily over the land. Which plains or forests or mountains or swamps to end up in each hand? On the map, it looks like states hold all the cards, but they don't. Just under one-third of land in the United States is federal, but that's an average. Looking at the percent of federal land in the states, the wester we go, the federaler the land, and the less of the state that's in each state. There's eastern states with under 1% federal land and five western states that control less than half of the land in their borders. How? What? First thing first, how did this happen? America wasn't always the mighty united. Like us all, she started small, when states were young, new, and few, giving away but little for her to play. But then America grew, Louisiana purchasing, Mexican sessioning, and manifest destining her way across the continent. But in this age of empires, it won't do any good to say she owns the land unless she gets her citizens out there to occupy the vast, totally unoccupied continent. So America America turns from hoarder to minimalist, disposing of as much of the land to new states and new settlers as she can, sometimes giving it away in literal races, where plots of land were drawn, homesteaders waited at a starting line, and bang, first family to a plot owns that plot. Says who? says America. She's booting up a private property ladder from virgin land using contracts and guns. 10% of all the land in the U.S. was given away for free just to get people out west. See also railroad companies which got the land either side of any track they could build for the length of a continent. If you could live on or improve the land in the 1800s, America would probably give it to you. But by the 1900s, most of the states are mostly in place, and the age of empires and wagons westward is over. But America still had a ton of land she didn't or couldn't give away. And now that the states are settled, well, what she has is all she will ever have. She turns away from her gifting minimalism and becomes a curator of her collection of land. This change was rather a shock to states expecting the land in their borders would be land in their borders. That federal land would continue to be turned over as it had for a century, but no. Thus, this map and a lot of angry western states now up against a fully operational federal government altering the deal. Some states like poor Utah and Nevada found themselves with hardly any state in their state. Or, hey, hey, what about the reservations? Are you going to talk about them? Are they federal land? Some of us have a lot of reservations in our state. Ah, the reservations. Yes. What a great story for another time. Look, we can't do the reservations right now. We just can't. Okay, history aside, America has all this land now, but like, what is it for? What is it for? A lot. Almost all of the following will have an in general before it, because there are almost 2,000 separate bureaucracies administering land that, were it a single country, would be in the top 10 list of biggest countries. But in general, most of the federal land falls under the control of the president, to whom a dozen secretaries report, of which we care about three, that run five departments. First, the Department of Defense. She runs 
Pentagon's military bases and nuclear silos and all the toys of war. America has to keep them somewhere, and if Sororicide taught her anything, it's don't trust the states with weapons. So keep them close on federal land she does. While America's military is big, the Department of Defense holds the least land of the top five. Next is the National Park Service, the Grand Canyon and Yellowstone and Blue Ridge Mountains. If there's an epic vista you visited or heard of in America, it's probably one of hers. National Parks is the celebrity of the group and can really stand out. Next biggest is the Fish and Wildlife Service. Much less known, except if you're in Alaska, where 85% of her land is. Fish and Wildlife is in the business of animal conservation, keeping land for America's species under her aegis not to be developed. Then there's the Forest Service, often confused with national parks, but not remotely the same. There's many a breathtaking national forest you can hike through, but they're not parks. They're more America's resource tiles, least for logging, plus grassland tiles for grazing. Forest Service's job is to balance extraction with maintenance. How well she does this is an endless source of argument between America and the states and the companies that want to use those resource tiles. It's a job that guarantees someone is always going to be angry. Only you can prevent forest fires? That's the Forest Service, because she deals with these kinds of fires as well as these kinds of fires. And it's a job she splits with the last and the biggest, the Bureau of Land Management. She does it all, from resolving cow disputes to leasing land for mining to building parks to preserving the coastal waters of California, which, surprise California, are federal land. BLM does a lot and is the biggest, which can make it very confusing about which agency does what. But think of it this way. There are three goals. Conservation, recreation, extraction. BLM does all three. FS does conservation and extraction. FNW does conservation. NPS conservation, recreation. Again, in general. These four plus war control 97% of federal land. The last 3% is miscellaneous, used by departments like the Postal Service or NASA or the Department of Energy or others. Okay, this is lovely, but like, what does it mean to say that land is federal? Is it part of the state or not? Well, this brings up the delicate and sensitive balance of power between the states and America. And there's an enormous amount of words, words, words around the sovereignty of governments. But ultimately, federal land belongs to America, and she can do with it what she wants, and the states have to just suck it. Most starkly in Nevada, where federal land was used for nuclear bomb testing. Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty big hole you punched in Nevada, America. Oh, not just the ones. Oh. 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 When push comes to shove, America can shove. That's the most extreme example, but federal lands will often have their own separate federal law enforcement officers like the Investigative Services Branch, a kind of FBI for national parks. Though state borders do matter here, for lesser crimes, federal officers will often dump suspects into the state courts to deal with. Private citizens can't buy property on federal land. There are Americans who will tell you they live in a national park. Cape Cod and Fire Island National Parks are examples of this. But if you zoom into official maps, you'll often find find hilarious borders that swoop around and in between developed and undeveloped areas. There's also military bases, which will have soldiers living in them, but they can't own anything. And because it's federal land, the Department of Defense that builds the housing can ignore all a state's laws about housing or health codes. So a state can't control in a meaningful way federal land in her borders. Hundreds of acres of federal grassland might suddenly be filled with grazing cattle or POW be declared a national monument and preserved 
reserved forever, or plumbed for oil and mined for minerals, with the state just standing on the sidelines watching. Thus, states can't build their own towns or parks or factories in federal land to, you know, collect any taxes from the land, which, once America made her intention to keep federal land forever, made the states with a lot of it start to grumble, 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 grumble. Fine, I'll give you payment in lieu of taxes. Are you happy now? Is this a joke? Is, is this for real? Grumble, 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 grumble. All of this means today there's a big political divide between the states that have a lot of federal land and the states that don't, with eastern states thinking of federal land as belonging to the nation as a whole, which is easy to do when you don't have a lot of it within your borders, and federal land to you means visiting Glacier National Park on vacation. Meanwhile, western states are getting nuclear bombs detonated in their backyards and compensation they don't think is fair for land that affects them that they can't control. There's a million more complications this simplification can't possibly cover. But the best way to think about federal land is that while it may be in a state, it is not of the state. I 
I give a fuck about the fashion. Look at this stupid reaction. Cameras rolling the text. The truth is all we have in life. The truth is the most important thing that we could ever learn about ourselves. Honesty is the only glue that keeps together communities on the internet. And I want to talk about the truth because I want to talk about why I make videos like Feeling Down. And if you've been with my channel for a while, you know that videos like Feeling Down are not uncommon. Because I'm the kind of guy that wears his heart on his sleeve. I show my emotions at every turn because I want to be honest, not just with you guys, but with myself. I want to be honest because in that honesty, I want people to realize that doubting yourself is not always a bad thing. If you let it consume your life, of course, if you doubt yourself to the point of crippling anxiety, you're never going to go anywhere. But doubting yourself means that you're not so much of a fool that you're walking forward thinking that you're always right. Because if you think that you're always right, you are more often wrong than right. And if you're moving through life with that blind confidence, you're never going to go anywhere. Crimes and misdemeanors. It was. Um, comedy equals tragedy plus time. After all that big, heady stuff, maybe a little comedy that can add perspective will help. They, they talk about the, the end of the world, Armageddon, which is short for Armageddon out of here. Um, some Australians saying, Armageddon out of here. I've got to go and she sweeps and chimneys with Charlene. So, um, and they talk about the, oh, the end of the world will come from the world of politics, the world of economics, the world of uh, maybe technology. And technology is advanced machine, yes. And I have the love-hate relationship with the machine. We spin into two groups. There's people with technophere. We know the people with technophere. They're there on the computer going, what? Oh, oh, I've, I've wiped the file. Oh, damn. What? I've wiped all the files. I've wiped the internet. Oh, no. I, I don't even have a modem. I don't have that. I have techno joy. I love machines. And I like getting a new machine. When I get a new machine, I think, yes, this machine will save my life. I'll never work again because this machine will do everything, even the creative input stuff, which doesn't happen. And the first thing you do if you've got techno joy is you get the instructions and throw them out the window. No, I know how this one will work. Press this thing here. No, come on, come on. This bit comes off. Oh no. I busted, and then you smash it with a hammer. And everyone in, in films is so fucking swish on computers. Hacking into the Pentagon computer. Okay. Double click on yes. Password protected. 20 billion possible chances. Okay. Uh, Jeff. Hey! How did you know? 
a back door. In film, they always talk about a back door. The people who made the software left a back door so they could get back in whenever they wanted to and move all the missiles around in the Pentagon and, and put them on their head or something. I don't know. And the guy who made this software was called Jeff Jefty Jeff. Born on the 1st of Jeff, 19 Jeff to Jeff. Yes. So I put in Jeff and hey, I've never seen one character in a film ever on a computer going, Computer there, printer there. What's this book? Book of Revelations, right? Now I know where I'm going. Um, okay. We want just control and P print. Control P print. Control P print. And the computer's going, cannot access printer. Cannot access printer? It's here. It's right next to you. Access the printer. Look, see how my hands touch it. You're plugged in with a lead, can't you? You just print it out. That's what you're supposed to do. Let's see if the printer's going. I don't know what you're trying to do. Yes, you do. I'm trying to control me print. Print the fucking thing. Ah, but there's something you haven't done. What? What haven't I done? Just tell me, and I'll do it. Honestly, ah, uh, no, I can't do it. You're one of those evil ducks, aren't you? You bastard. Just control P, print. Control P, print. Control P, print. Print control P. Print control P. Paragraph print. Print control P, print. Control P, print. Fucking Look, it's five in the morning. It's only a paragraph. Just print this fucker out. Go and spare. I need it for tomorrow. I'm going to fax it off. I don't know how to use a fucking fax modem on this. You know, control P, print. Control P, print. Control P, print. Print control P. A problem of type 2094 has occurred. What the fuck is that? What are the 2093 other problems I just missed to get to that one? Katobi pick, Katobi pick, Katobi. Jeez, ah, right. No, don't do that, don't do that. Don't crash on me. Don't you fucking crash on me. Look, I, I didn't mean. Ah, oh, damn you. Right, how do you get out of crash? Okay, uh, escape, control, P, alt, first. Escape, control, alt, P, thing, all about. Fucking do it! Ah, uh, there's something you haven't done. What? What? You, right, I'm phoning Amsterdam, right. Hello. Hello, Amsterdam. I, you speak very good English. Well done. Bordered by four countries. Interesting. Right. Dangerous in land wars. Yes, I know. Now, I've got a Macintosh computer plugged into a, a Canon bubble jet printer, right? And yes, I've been into the printer file and chosen a Canon bubble jet printer. Yes, of course. Yes, I've been in the chooser file and chosen the printer port as opposed to the fax modem port, which actually is the fax modem port, which confuses the fuck out of me. I've chosen A4 paper instead of toilet paper. I've already done that. I've chosen the picture of the dog standing straight up instead of the picture of the dog lying on its side. I've done all this. It's five in the morning. It's just a paragraph. It will not print out. There's something, some bastard. Is, there's an on switch on the printer, is there? Oh, 
always like that. It's always just one thing. And then you go, oh, that. Oh, well, if I'd been a rocket scientist, I would have been able to work that out in the first place. And I think if, that, if the world ever does go up, it'll be some general in the Pentagon just trying to get a goddamn paragraph printed out on this huge fucking computer, and he smashes it with a hammer. Damn. And the whole world blows up. So that'd be interesting. Um, but even if that does happen, I think I'll carry on gigging because I quite like it. Thank you very much. Good night. Thank you for listening. I hope the last hour was entertaining. Disjointed maybe to you, but in some strange continuity, it all aligns for me. Take care.
time you're working out in the gym. You do you quite a regularly. long way. Do you, do you train quite a lot, Jack? You keep fit? Yeah, 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 you know, I get down to the gym every once or twice a year, and, uh... Michael, were it... you ever into... No. It's a generational thing, isn't it? My, my dad would have no. never have... He would have thought it's terribly, kind of, common to train. Absolutely. You know? And sort of gyms and things like that, very...